Hey, yo, this COVID-19 got some of y'all shook. Maybe it's time to wake up and take a look. Yo, yo. Corona got you scared. I hear you, man. Whatever. I know you, bro. You've been scared forever. Everyone been telling you what to think. Your brain is the drain and you like the sink. I'm a fountain spreading unique thoughts like water. Get it to your Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Whistling in the Dark podcast. I am your host, Patrick Bradley, down in Atlanta, Georgia. Today is Sunday, May 4th, 2020, and this is episode 44. And this episode is dedicated to my brother, Tom Bradley. Uh, I have, back by popular demand, is <laughs> Dr. Adam Steele. Hello. Um, hey, welcome back. And uh, Thank you, thank you. I think we really blew the doors off this coronavirus uh, <laughs> thing <laughs> last episode. And we're here to just, like, fucking kick in your doors once again come into your living room and uh talk about where we've been since april 26 wow it's a month a month and a lot's happened yeah time is is basically meaningless uh in this (laughs) quarantine pandemic i can't believe it's a month um but Mm -hmm. here here we are so um a couple things uh, something that just happened today, and I, I believe maybe you actually have the link. I don't have it pulled up. Uh, mm-hmm. The Libertarian Party candidate for president has been nominated, and it is not Jacob Hornberger. So the, the Mises caucus failed. All that shit. Dave Smith made it. You know, oh, we, you know, I have so many more followers in the whole <laughs> Libertarian Party, and seems like nobody came out or whatever. Um, but I think this uh, Joe Jorgen, Jorgensen person is not awful. I think she's a, an improvement from what I understand over Gary Johnson. But you know, I think maybe in a follow up, we can talk more about her if anybody cares. But um, I don't know if you have anything to say about this lady. I mean, to me, she looks like pretty standard Libertarian Party fair, although I didn't really have a problem with Gary either. I thought Mm -hmm. he was good. I think the most important thing is someone who's going to put a good face forward for us and uh, continue to raise the profile of the party. Um, To me, that's that is important um, rather than someone who's going to voice like the most extreme version of libertarianism. So, yeah, it's interesting. I'm not, you know, this. I just wanted to like at least touch on it since it happened. I think today, possibly last evening or something. But it was it was two nights ago, I think, or something close to it. Yeah, something like that. Well, I saw it on Facebook today. I actually okay. uh, stopped following the Mises Caucus on Facebook as much as I am like one hundred percent aligned, like literally one hundred percent aligned with them. Their Facebook page is just like insufferable. It's I, I can't like. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so awful and just ridiculous. So I don't know. I I think it kind of shows like no matter how great of a philosophy, you know, you're still going to have like average humans. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's pretty. Anybody can be annoying, even if they're right. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I don't know if you want to sort of steer the direction or where we start with kind of talking about the last month or where we're at today uh yeah 
There's there's so much to talk about. I mean, I mean, as of a month ago, uh, there was sort of solid ground for the the lockdown skeptical position, and that things were you know getting better, and that the worst was probably not going to come to pass. You know, it, there's even more reason to be uh, optimistic today. I mean, uh, it looks as of right now that what happened in sort of the New York uh, area and adjacent is not happening anywhere else. I mean, they had a very, very severe outbreak and a lot of deaths in that small area. Uh, but you might have reasonably expected that same pattern to replicate in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in other places, and it just hasn't happened. Um, I'll be honest, it's not totally clear to me the reasons for that, uh, but it's, it isn't happening. And what's also becoming more and more clear is that this isn't, while the, the particular policy prescriptions like locking down, closing all businesses have not been shown to, to be effective, uh, it is the case that like we're getting a clearer picture of where the deaths are occurring. And mm -hmm. that's among the, the aged and, and frail. I mean, we mentioned uh, nursing homes last time, but it's become even more clear that this is where a lot, a lot of the deaths are occurring. And there's going to be a big, pretty big scandal uh, when all, I think all is said and done finding out. I mean, in Pennsylvania, you had a week where 90 percent of the deaths, 90 percent in, in a week of all the COVID deaths were Jesus. in these elder care facilities. And so, you know, at that point, it becomes even more infeasible uh, or it becomes harder and harder to defend keeping everyone at home when it's clear that there are specific vulnerable populations uh, that, that can be taken care of. Mm. Yeah, I um, I've just been wondering about you know yeah like new york would people say oh well, it started earlier that was something you heard a lot it started yeah. earlier so you know just wait it's coming but That's but right. it wasn't ground zero right i mean that was like washington and wasn't the That's bay right. area yeah yeah there was there was cases there uh earlier in other places too up in the pacific northwest too um they had their, yeah, their outdoor washington huh? state yeah, Washington State. Yeah, they had their outdoor facilities. And that's another thing we can mention is that all of these over. So, so the, the main logic behind flatten the curve originally was uh, what we need to do is spread out the uh, infections over a long period, because what will happen is the deaths will really go up if we exceed the capacity of our hospitals. Uh, that never happened uh, anywhere, even mm -hmm. in these really severe areas around New York. Um, I had a, a there's like a dashboard web page for the hospitals in New Jersey where I still have a lot of family. And I was looking at those and you could see as the pandemic was was progressing that no more than uh, a few of them any time were ever on what's called diversion. Diversion is uh, if a hospital is saying, if you have an ambulance and you have a patient, we're full up here. And there's different levels of diversion, mm -hmm. but it, it's totally common, especially during the normal flu, flu season for a few hospitals to be on diversion for some amount of time mm -hmm. and the number went up a little bit but i mean i think there's something like uh 59 something like that hospitals in new jersey and no more than like five six or seven of them were ever on diversion at any time when i saw the dashboard wow. so so it, it there was never the case. And of course, you can't run the counterfactual. Naturally, the people who are in favor of the lockdown say, oh, if only we hadn't done that, we would see this. But yeah. I, I don't really buy that because uh, as it was back then, they said only with these really extreme measures, we will still like come really close to seeing this kind of overflow. And it just never happened. Yeah. Um, 
it's totally consistent too with like the failure of the models to predict in particular the number of hospitalizations um, yeah which they way overestimated yeah it it's interesting to see people really hunkering down in mm -hmm. the opinion of uh you know, it's. I, I was talking to my mom earlier today about, uh, well, just whatever, just catching up. But we happened to mention this, and she was saying, like, you know, well, you know, nobody wants to be like locked down or whatever. And and I said, yeah, I said, obviously, logically, that makes sense, but that's not how apparently the human psyche works. Once you get dug right. into a position, you, you know, and this position is that, you know, we absolutely have to lock down. Now it's like yeah. somehow saving face is actually more important than just having a more fun life and a better economic, right. you know, uh, and, and they, uh, I was, thinking that you know specifically around the opening up like you said the, the yeah. you know the counterfactual well now you know the only thing that you hear now is you know whatever georgia has been open for a few weeks or four weeks and i, I heard a number 34 yeah. percent drop in like hospitalizations over that time and yeah. now you're presented with well it it's you know, but it's probably because, you know, it's getting warmer. And so the, it's naturally going away. Whereas before they, <laughs> right. they would actually, those, that same crew, the, like the, the panic crew that just once for some reason, the, the, mm -hmm. the country to stay locked down for a year or 18 months. I mean, isn't that what, you know, Bill Gates is saying, you know, until we find a vaccine or whatever. So you you they kind of already were saying that well that's not possible but now when it becomes you know convenient to to try but you know it's not you know there, there's no real basis for that i mean you you know if you want sure you you can try and make the argument but you know try to make the argument at least try to present some you know basis for that like why all of a sudden you know the moment georgia opened it you know What's the, he just happened, the governor just happened to time it perfectly with right. with the temperature increase. And it hasn't actually been that warm up until no. this week in Georgia. Like okay. It's actually been Not here chilly. either in Maryland, no. Yeah, so I mean, it's yeah, just it, an insane... It, I mean, the basic exercise is a pretty simple one if you want to be intellectually honest. You say, if the reverse had happened, would I have made me more confident in my conclusion? So people are saying, well, if it had opened up and there had been a lot of deaths, they probably would have said, see, this is evidence for what I was saying before. So the, you have to take seriously the idea that if it opens up and that doesn't happen, then maybe you were wrong. Right. You know, and this, yeah. you, just, you, have to, you have to do that. Yeah. Um, Right, right. It's like so. No matter what, and uh, and it isn't even like there was like a, a a tempered view there. I mean, it was what was the headline in the Atlantic? Uh, Georgia was going to be an experiment in human sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> like they were the ancient Aztecs or something yeah. like that. <laughs> oh man! But little do they know that actually sacrificing to the gods works, and they maybe <laughs> you know what's that, that was it? Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank God that we, they were willing to take that risk and sacrifice a few lives then for the many and that the right. gods have now smiled on us and they're pulling back the, the plague of 2020. That's right. No, I, you know, I've heard people crediting the Pope with the, the reduction too. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's anything, anything that's, that people want to grasp onto. That's, that's probably true. He, he is quite probably mainly due to the to the pope so right. uh, thank goodness so uh, so anyway yeah the point is that uh, there have been several states that have been open for a month now now i would definitely not 
declare victory by any stretch at this point. Because my point originally was that people's habits change slowly. And it wasn't as if you open Georgia and boom, people are out right away mm-hmm. heading to the stores in the same numbers that they were before. It's going to be kind of slow rise back into normal behavior. By so the you way, still can, I'm, yeah. I'm declaring victory today. Okay. Sunday, May 24th, 2020, (laughs) Georgia has, I declare Georgia's victory over COVID-19. Mission accomplished, the big banner behind you, Pat. Yeah, I'm going to come flying in, only an aircraft carrier outside of whatever naval base if we have one in Georgia. Right. Uh, But but the point is that you could see some small resurgence, but it's, it's another failure of the people who are warning to predict what would occur. I mean, it's totally possible you see another hump, but it's not arguable that it has been better than those people said beforehand. So yeah. they should take that seriously and yeah. say, well, maybe maybe it's not quite as bad as I was predicting. Maybe more people were exposed beforehand. Maybe the kind of voluntary measures where people washing their hands more, using masks, is going to continue a bit into the future. And this is enough to keep us out of another pandemic, mm-hmm. right? Because every one of these little things can help. It's really not clear which of them is the most important, but if yeah. we do all these small things, then maybe we can still let people go to work and earn a living. Yeah. And to me, like the most egregious part of this is continuing to not separate what, you know, the message to high risk people, whether you're old or, you know, you have a pre-existing condition and then non-high risk people, the fact yes. that it's, it's either just, we're all open or we're all closed. Like we all go back to work. We all, you know, it, that's to me, like not, you know, that's, that was the mistake, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, how many people in New York, like what, what was that in the nursing? I mean, you said, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but mm-hmm. the, the amount of deaths that happened in New York and then the amount of deaths there in these nursing homes and stuff, if they just in that one small part of the country protected yeah. the nursing homes, you would probably right. see a, you know, a factor of, you know, two drop in, in deaths or more. I mean, it, who, you know, it could, it could be something like that. Yeah. And it just, it's, there was a lack of, basically there was some mixed incentives. Like we wanted people to t- take it seriously. And so they didn't want to emphasize that there was a smaller number of people at a very high level of risk. And so they didn't do that. Whereas, you know, there are solutions here. I mean, you read about early on for the personal protective equipment, the mask. I mean, there was a factory in Pennsylvania where the guys who work in that factory checked in and they worked in the factory and didn't leave for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. In order that they could do their work and make sure no one was sick there and they could get the personal protective equipment out so the hospitals will have it. You could imagine similar programs like that for nursing or elder care facilities where the people stay in the facility for extended periods of time to make sure no virus gets in. No one has done that anywhere as far as I can tell. Yeah. And so it's just there's a lack of imagination and it's, you know, it's government focusing on what it can do most easily, which is order people around and not yeah. so much find solutions to problems. Yeah. We always libertarians. We just nah. always find ourselves on this side of, of the debate <laughs> where it's just like, it feels so sensible what, what we're saying and so obvious, but yet it just, you're, we're in like the minority of the minority. Yes. <laughs> like nobody's saying this, you know, it's either, mm-hmm. it's either that the whole thing is a hoax or, 
or it's it really is like the next plague and you know we're gonna have to lock down and you know <laughs> and uh uh Krugman, I even Krugman recently talking about how great like the just giving out money is working and why people like why do you even have to go back to work? <laughs> like production oh, doesn't goodness. matter, but so yeah, like somehow yeah. we're we're crazy for for thinking that hey, like people actually need to like produce wealth, like it doesn't right. just magically come to us from you know from the gods by our sacrifices. Right. I mean, it, it, simple way to say it: Elon Musk was on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast and he just said it in like the most dumb but simple way fashion he said if people don't make stuff then there won't be any stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that apparently is is edgy (laughs) i mean really like he is making headlines for that you know yes it's like (laughs) it's yeah very 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 interesting um another another place uh, that I was hearing a bit about like opening up and mm-hmm. that was Texas. And there's a lot of talk about, Oh, see tech. Right. So what's the one place that, you know, CNN or whatever focuses on it's Texas. And they say, Oh, well look, Oh, the number of cases has been climbing, you know, since mm-hmm. they've opened up, mm-hmm. but then lo and behold, the number of tests have been increasing. And it's yes. like, just look at, you know, like we were, we talked about this, uh, the last episode about the, the number of positive, uh, you know, cases is, is just not a, a dependable number. I mean, it's just right. all over the map and it depends so heavily on not just how many tests you're doing, but also like what type of, are you randomly testing? You're testing people with symptoms or, you know, right. whatever. But if you kind of look at, hospitalizations and deaths that's a bit more dependable now I, you know i may be a little skeptical even of the the death number but whatever and even if they that's been new in the last month too yeah. but i mean it's it basically what pat is referring to is the fact that if you have someone who comes to the hospital who is positive for covid but have a lot of other underlying conditions and they pass away what is the correct way to record that? Mm-hmm. You know, consistency is very important, but we're also interested in knowing how deadly is COVID, right? So if they have a lot of conditions, to what extent should we attribute that death to COVID? There isn't any single good answer to that. Yeah. Um, and there's an, unfortunately, there's a financial incentive for a lot of hospitals are having a very difficult time right now to code it as COVID. Mm-hmm. And this is not conspiracy theory stuff. I mean, that's, that's the, the way the government is giving out money for these cases. So. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, there there is absolute financial incentive right. to, uh, you know, market death as, you know, being from COVID-19. And right. if you do that, I mean, it's that it's like it's a lot to me that's as dependable as like gravity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you put a financial yes. incentive, it's going to increase, <laughs> you know, like uh, I thought, um, I, I've thought and about normally that I would say, I would say like, we should, we should discount that heavily and say like, this isn't influencing the number of deaths all that much, but it's precisely because the average age of the COVID death is so high, like roughly 77 yeah. And these folks are coming out of these nursing homes that it will be ambiguous in a lot of the cases, whether or not that was the true cause of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you had uh, a, you had a rough estimate that two thirds of the people that died of COVID-19 would die before the end of the year. What's funny about that is that isn't my estimate. So the gentleman who did the uh, modeling that supported the 
lockdown in the United Kingdom was one of the biggest doomsayers. He was asked in an interview what his estimate was, and that was his estimate. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, and this is to the to the nursing home one where I don't know where uh, yeah. this came from. But the this was because I had asked this question or I sort of jokingly said when you last time mm-hmm. something about half the deaths have been in nursing homes. And I jokingly said, well, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that half our population doesn't live in nursing homes. So it's right. probably bad. But <laughs> you have a stat here that it's actually zero point six percent of our population is nursing homes. But 50 percent in New Jersey, that's the number yeah, fifty mm-hmm. percent about mm-hmm. of the deaths. So right. that's you know it, it's outrageous and um, yeah, it's it's uh, pretty interesting. But oh, oh okay, so in, in um, Texas, they are so you know they're harping on this as an example to say or as evidence that opening up was the wrong move. But hospitalizations and deaths, I think, that's have right. been that's on right. the decline as usual, uh, or you know is. You know, most I, I don't know. I mean, is there any place? I, I think I possibly California Not yet, or no. LA has, has seen was, an increase in, in deaths or I haven't seen anywhere where there was an increase after they opened anything. In yeah. fact, in Denmark, uh oh, they they, yeah. they locked down quite quite strong and they started to reopen. There was a very interesting article where they said, you know, they did expect particularly because they did such a good job. So if you do an extremely good job and you think your lockdowns work, that means you're saying, well, we think not many people were exposed to it early on. So you would naturally expect when we open up, you would see some resurgence. Mm-hmm. So they opened up pretty conservatively a little bit and they don't see any resurgence. So they said, okay, well, we're just going to keep, they, they, the, the officials there at least have the humility to say, we don't understand why we're not seeing a, a resurgence, but we're happy about it. And we're just going to keep opening things up until we do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I, it's, it is, it's kind of, I mean, I think it's going to be one of these things that in a month or two or whatever, <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's literally going to be off the table as a discussion. Like whenever it ends, it's going to end completely. And yes. it's going to be replaced by some new insane panic. And I'm almost certain the insane panic is going to be directed around Donald Trump. Um, even, <laughs> even though all of the news that's coming out is all the uh, the Obamagate, uh, some good marketing there by Trump. But, uh, you know, all this stuff coming out about how, you know, the Obama administration was like spying on Trump like during the election or possibly at least after it, before he was in office and, you know, hiding that fact and they knew the steel dossier was like a complete farce but they still like went with it anyway uh but mm-hmm. i don't think any of that will pick up steam because you know outside of fox news all the major media is just like literally propaganda for the democratic party at this point like uh and i, I guess fox news is like the republican propaganda but it just seems pretty weak mm-hmm. um we got to depend on, well, not that we're Republicans, but to get anything but like the Democrat propaganda, it's like you got like Alex Jones and Fox News. <laughs> Pick your poison there, buddy. Yeah. Great news sources. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, this is I mean, at this the the response has not been 
Which is it's interesting. That, I mean, the response was not super partisan to, to COVID. I mean, there was an attempt, mm-hmm. of course, to say that the federal government mishandled it. And to some extent, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that view. But it wasn't like you had Republicans on one side saying we should definitely stay open and Democrats on the other saying we should definitely close. It wasn't like that. I mean, even the reopenings, we, we've talked about Georgia and Florida and Texas, but Colorado opened up to a large extent, too. And it just doesn't get talked about as much. Because there you have, I believe, a Democratic governor, probably. Mm. So there's not as much of a partisan, you know, bone to pick there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's poisoning the debate uh, as, as well. I mean, yeah. in the best of times, it's hard to get people to focus on the data. But if there's any partisan advantage to be had by misinterpreting it, you can expect that to happen as well. Yeah, yeah. And that it, It's actually kind of interesting because what I was thinking is, are you talking about the Republican Party officials or like voters and Democrat? You know, are you talking about like a partisanship? Because I believe in the, the voting base or at least the social media, you know, <laughs> bases. I feel like there has become, you know, a pretty big partisanship uh, or partisan divide. There is there, absolutely, yes. Which is, honestly, I hadn't really considered how interesting that is that, you know, it's like, hey, man, I mean, you know, say what you want, but at the end of the day, the man at the top of, like, the nationwide quarantine now you know you could say that he actually did leave it to the states and so you know and i guess like it's interesting that just uh, very often i feel like the trump's words and actions are like very disconnected Mm -hmm. you know i i I mean you could uh, you know you could talk about i mean you you could look at some of his comments as being you know pretty like anti-war but I mean, is he really, you know, like, but his actions are, you know, horrific. I mean, go, yeah. go ask anybody, any, any citizen of Yemen, right? you know, for example, yes. and, I mean, he's a bit of a mixed bag, you know, I mean, it's certainly better than, you know, we've seen in a while. He hasn't started any new fronts, I guess. So that's great. And I guess Syria is sort of wound, we, we've kind of left there, I guess, but, uh, I, I, I well, don't know. It, it's, it's really hard. I mean, and I get it's probably a fool's errand to even try to make sense out of his discourse. <laughs> it, it, it is. Uh, but I mean, the, the, there was if there was one time where his recklessness and his willingness to, like, disregard all conventional wisdom would have actually paid dividends. It would have been in covid. Yeah. And he didn't he didn't come through there. I had I had conversations with really uh, Democratic liberal people who nevertheless were saying that the lockdown and the response to COVID was overdone. And they were happy in the beginning to hear that Trump might be like not as far in that direction. But since then, he has been for all the lockdowns. He was bad mouthing uh, Sweden's uh, policies and their strategy. So, you know, it's it's a fool's errand to try to make anything sensible out of what he says. That's why I just try not to talk about it too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy, and I, I mean, I, I yeah, you could say that. I mean, that's like CNN is just. I, I guess it's it's sort of just an absolute gift to them that never stops giving. You know, just like <laughs> they don't really need to make a really cogent art argument anyway. Like everybody that's going there is already you know 
very mm-hmm. entrenched in their in their positions and they just get you they just complete keep continue to get them just torqued up over and over and over over this stuff so yeah but anyway but uh, back to covid yeah yeah <laughs> so the texas um yeah. and colorado I don't know what, I mean, I, so I was out, I, I've actually been going out a good bit more recently. Just one day I actually ate at a restaurant. So Whoa. I felt like a real freedom fighter that day. <laughs> I, uh, I went and uh, I got a, uh, a chicken uh, salad, a salad with grilled chicken, because I'd been eating such trash at my house. It really devolved. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so that that was nice. We ordered. It was basically like you're just getting takeout, and then you go sit down. Um, you okay. could stay in the restaurant, but we sat outside. It was a pretty nice day. And uh, today uh, we did the same thing. It was like a real outdoor kind of restaurant. Anyway, had some breakfast tacos and uh, went to a coffee shop, and then sat out there with a buddy of mine for an hour or so. But I mean, the whole time, probably saw four people go in. So. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting. I mean, this place right. would be bumping. I mean, this is in Atlanta, a very like hip neighborhood. Coffee shops are, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a main hub of, of a lot of stuff there. And and uh, I mean, barely anybody going in. I, I it's be it's amazing that this. I feel like the margins on a coffee shop got to be tough to begin with. Yes, not having you know basically any income for months. I you know maybe they had some cash reserves or something. We, you know. Well, uh, I mean, this is one of my main concerns with the lockdown is that I saw a graph of the number of weeks the businesses had on hand, and it sort of had a lump, uh, and with a sort of a longer tail to the positive side. But the average was only like three weeks. Of, of cash to pay expenses. Now, if you fire everyone, maybe you can make make that out longer. But the reality is, if this goes on much longer, there aren't going to be the businesses to hire people back. Yeah. When the a government is going to say, oh, okay, it's safe to go back to work, and the businesses to rehire folks aren't going to be around anymore. Yeah. It's going to be a great buying opportunity for any of us that have been able to make it through with some... Uh, <laughs> with some money to burn at the end of this thing uh well we can yeah i suppose so <laughs> we can pick but through the bones <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you could see a real like further collapse of small businesses and more market share going to like the larger entities the walmarts the amazons and them and i don't have anything against those companies i think they do a great job uh but the reality is that those businesses have access to to capital and and loans that can see them through the rough times much more easily than the small businesses. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that made no sense about these PPP loans that the government was handing out basically, you know, free to small businesses to make their payroll was that to get the loan turned into a grant and be forgiven, you had to keep everybody on the payroll. Well, uh-huh. if you give a company a grant and force them to keep everybody on the payroll when you don't have the work for them, you're not increasing their runway which really should be the goal of this thing. Right. Um, so it's, it's, mm. it's not very well thought out. Um, Surprisingly. Yeah, I know. I, just, I expected them to knock this one out of the park, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this hundred, few hundred page bill dumped, you know, yeah. a few hours before it was expected to be passed, oh, you know, boy. very little time to review it. And then, you know, after the fact, they're responding to people being upset that, the large restaurants that they explicitly wrote in that they were had access to were actually taking advantage of it. You know, big surprise, it's free money up for grabs. They're going to grab at it. 
Yeah. And so then they, they, you know, it's, it's, it's so often the case these days that Congress passes an extremely vague bill. They leave it to the executive branch agencies to sort out the details. Mm-hmm. And then everybody is upset at whatever gets decided. But it's just an example of the legislature not doing its job. I mean, somebody has to work out the details. So. Yeah. I mean, they're so far from being able to do it. in a non-pandemic there. It's yeah. a nightmare. So this is, yes. you know, this is like, I feel like this is the time that all the awful stuff comes through that much easier. As, yes, you know, exactly. Um, it, so I just wanted to put a little pin in something you said for uh, mm. maybe another follow-up episode. You know, we'll, sure. we'll let the people decide. But so <laughs> and it kind of, this was something I was thinking about because between you and I, I don't like COVID-19 isn't, isn't really the obvious topic that we would be coming together on. (laughs) Uh, But you know, it is, it just happened that you had been doing so much, you know, uh, sort of, research into it or whatever mm-hmm. staying up on the research at least we'd yeah. say that it, it was a uh, you know a nice a nice place to come together but talking about uh and I, so i think that this is a place that i tend to diverge and i don't think it's like in a fundamental way mm-hmm. um but from the sort of i don't know the tenor of what i hear a lot a lot of libertarian commenters they they uh, like you said, you know, I don't have a problem with Walmart. Like they do a good job, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But, and, uh, you know, if I go back to your statement to me, that sort of kind of turned the light switch on mm. was the idea that, you know, in a free market, it's not just like, one company just swallows another, swallows another until you just have this one gigantic company that owns everything that right. and markets are tend to be sweet spots or whatever. And then the sort of extension of that is the reason that we get these insanely huge corporations that are able to spread across, you know, the whole world and, and you know, is because of the regulations and government yes, right. sort of. So I I think that there is no actual disagreement. I think it's just the the way we choose to talk about it. And I find it strategically, to me, I think that and maybe I am doing my appeal. It's almost like, what audience do you want to sound more appealing to? Because I think that there's a lot of truth in Walmart and other of these large multinational corporations doing a great job. Uh, to me, I often think about Amazon because Amazon has been getting demonized lately. And it's like, whoa, man, like they're like the thing that, you know, they're right now, like the glue that's holding this whole world together. Like yeah. it's the marketplace that we're all able to find stuff without having to like, you know, if you're so scared to infect, each other and now you're going after the one it's like they demonized the the company that actually had the infrastructure to like allow us to 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 continue to function um you know so it's hard for me to to like sort of get on board with that but you know um I think I kind of do this more as a, a maybe a feeble attempt to appeal to my more left-leaning friends when I am able to sort of stay 
purely as like, you know, uh, in Mm -hmm. my free market position, but yet show that, you know, I am not like for the, you know, what's going on with, with, with Walmart, but it takes, you know, you, you have to take a look at the, their relationship with government. And, um, anyway, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to put sort of a pin in that for a, for a future topic, because I, I think it's something that to me, it was the key. Like understanding that was the key that unlocked it. Uh, right. And I think that if at like, if you buy that, then all of it, it just sort of comes out from that, that point then, you know, at that point it becomes really difficult to me to argue for like government, government monopoly on anything. But anyway, we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll save that. We'll save yeah, that. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I, uh, but I, I, I think it, it, you know, it plays a, it's in, it's in everything, you know, it's the, mm-hmm. it's a, the testing failure, you know, whenever, I mean, that's chalk it up once again, right. The market would have, right. would have solved that allowing people to like actually decide how to best protect themselves and all different levels of life, whether you're, you know, eight years old in a nursing home or you, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you own a nursing home, you don't want all of your patients to die. Right. Right. Like, and then, you know, nursing home B, they protect them and they put in all these, you know, things where they have, like you suggested, with people staying overnight for Mm -hmm. weeks at a time and all of their patients survive. Who's going to do better in the future? You know, I mean, well, I mean, knowledge. So people were looking to the federal government for guidance early on, but the knowledge of the situation on the ground was distributed. And this is, you know, this is what a market does. It, it is a mechanism by which distributed amounts of information can be used to guide decisions in an intelligent way without there being any central or single person that understands the totality of the circumstances. It's not required to, for good decision-making. And we put all that power and faith in the CDC and the FDA, and they have just, from start to finish, made mistake after mistake after mistake. Um, from from doing from getting the tests ready to uh, approving new test mechanisms. I mean, there was a story the other week where there was an at home uh, COVID test that had been running for for a month and a half, and the FDA found out one day that the data was being used uh, not just to get. Uh, information for the university that it was running out of, but also getting the results to patients. And they said, nope, you got to pull that off the market. Mm. <laughs> they said it was more important to have their finger in all the pies so that they can be the ultimate arbiter of what counts as a good test than to give people access to testing that they wouldn't otherwise have because it would require them to leave their house, to get a prescription from their doctor or something else, depending on the state that they were in. Yeah. Some. Uh, um, so, yeah. So, uh, let's see. What are some other uh, interesting topics? I mean, we can so, talk about herd immunity. We can talk I, about lab release. We can talk uh, about previous pandemics. What do you think? How about COVID modeling uh, review? Sure, sure. I, I actually did see some of this, and as a as a programmer, um, that is that is what I sort of morphed into after my brief career in physics. Uh, right. I, I, uh, this was, this was pretty good. I, I didn't get too detailed in it, but something about like their main model was just like one giant file. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, it's so bad. Yeah. I mean, for people who are, don't do programming, this will not be as funny, but it's like, it's like if you ran a warehouse 
and instead of having like shelves with everything neatly stacked around the perimeter, you put everything in a big pile in the center of the room. <laughs> yeah. That's what the, that's what the single 15,000 line file. Uh, so, yeah. so to, to step back, this was the main model that came out of Imperial college in the United Kingdom that really got the government to change its mind on its strategy from a more Sweden like one of social distancing uh, to one that was relied heavily on locking down and keeping people in their homes was a model that predicted many hundreds of thousands of deaths uh, if uh, they took st took to their previous strategy. And uh, the gentleman who came up with this, uh, unfortunately, I'm sad to say he was a former physicist. Uh, well, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was a computational physicist and I can, I can assure you that, and I went through a very computational heavy undergraduate at Drexel University. Okay. We actually had a battery of classes that were computational physics and we had to take, well, I think maybe only one or two computer science electives, mm -hmm. but like we like, it was embedded in our curriculum, computational physics and we, it was all in C. I had never been taught anything about how to actually program though it was just like get this answer you know like get to this endpoint. Right. but there's no computer science all of that i've learned on my own over the years like doing much more like web development and, mm -hmm. and sort of stuff like that you know and and you know learning learning these types of principles how to organize your code and how to architect you know systems and and all of this stuff i mean yeah i mean i i definitely had this sort of big file mentality right i mean if you, I split if you, it up like i didn't even know what's the point right yeah. it's as you work on larger projects or work with more than one person in particular it becomes very important to organize these things have good comments and documentation for all of these things and these were all lacking and you can see in like basically the equivalent of freedom of information act requests over there uh, collaborators trying to use this code to replicate his results and having a lot of problems. Uh, the code was sort of non-deterministic. Uh, so you oh, could run right. it the same, you could run it the same thing more than once and it would give you different results, significantly different yeah. results, like <laughs> tens of percent different. And their guidance to the collaborators was, well, just run it a whole bunch of times and average it all together. It's like, okay. <laughs> Now there's nothing in particular problem with this uh, stochastic model, but this is the model is supposed to be deterministic and it basically isn't because of things having to do with it running on them trying to get it to run multi-core and race conditions and all stuff that will just sound like jargon. But the point is it was mm -hmm. fundamentally broken code and they handed it over to Microsoft at some point who spent weeks like revising it for them mm -hmm. and that is the code that we actually have access to very few people have access to the original code and mm -hmm. so the nightmare that i'm describing is the the post comb over nightmare if you will <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's pretty unbelievable that, that, mm -hmm. that. and i i mean you know when the, this does kind of touch on another topic that um i, I think is really becoming out in my mind now with this but also you know I think with the, um, you know, climate change debate, you, you, you sort of heard very sort of similar, I don't know, just similar topics of, you know, trust science, believe in science, mm -hmm. or if you don't believe in this, you don't believe in science. And, right. and, you know, I've said a lot with 
particularly with climate change to people, it's like, look, like I, I'm not a climate scientist. You know, mm-hmm. I, my, my biggest source of skepticism is that the like demons that are running this like war machine are all trying to shove this down our throat too. So that, makes me skeptical but i mean i'm not reading this research i'm not doing these models it's extremely complicated but i will say that i have seen how the sausage gets made at least in my one little corner of like computational neuroscience and it's not very beautiful like at the end of the day i feel like yes like i published peer-reviewed research but I really don't think that the people that reviewed it, like, honestly, really looked at it. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how it's, to explain it. It doesn't surprise me at all. No. I mean, I mean they kind of did. And I just cited, you know, previous people. But it starts to become this chain of like, well, you're citing this person that cited this person that cited, you know. And then you come yeah. down to like, what's at the base of it? What's the root? You know, a 15,000 page or a line, like, single file of just gobbledygook yeah. with hundreds of parameters that nobody really understands like hey there's a there's a name for this that they have that i've seen in some of the other things usually not associated with with the sort of harder sciences but it's called idea laundering Hmm. it's the idea (laughs) that you know you you pass a concept through like a trusted chain and it pops Hmm. out the other side like no more validated against the real world than it went in but it has like the the attraction of having come out of a major university or a major, you know, scientific journal. And so that, that is cause to believe in it for a lot of people Mm -hmm. Um, that shouldn't be necessary. Uh, All of these ideas should be kind of independently confirmable. And the big problem with, with this in particular uh, and, and climate science is that it's very difficult. Well, in the case of climate science, it is very hard to, um, without waiting a long time, maybe longer than you can afford to, test the predictions of the model against reality. Mm-hmm. What's a shame here is that we didn't have to wait very long. There was a specific model. It said, if you do X, you will see Y. And then Y doesn't happen. And then people still say, well, let's look at what the model says if we open back up again. It's like, well, it was wrong the first time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Why, why should, I, don't, I don't need why. to have run the counterfactual. You told me what would happen. Yeah. And it was wrong. Yeah, it was wrong. And then when you look under the hood, it's, you know, it, it's yes. obvious that it would be wrong that, you know, it's like, a, you know, certainly like anything can be right. Like once, like if you take one, you know, hey, yeah. you know, make got might have gotten lucky at like that one, especially when it's uh, non-deterministic. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just run it until thing. you get right. You know, I mean, I guess if it's like within some boundary, then, it, you know, it, 10%, the, the errors, but. it wasn't that small. It was sig- very significant. Mm. It was more than 20 in many cases. So. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, th- this topic is oh so, so it's such a bummer to me because yeah. I don't think I mean, mo- like the thing that I come to with it is like, I just don't have a solution. Like, I don't think that your average person just has the capacity to defeat like a corrupt academic community, if that's no. the case. I mean, you, you know, you're just lambs to the slaughter i mean i you know like i was saying like i don't have the ability to like do it with like the climate change you know like i don't i don't know whatever i read i tend to be like oh man that's that's 
pretty good point. Pretty good point. And maybe we right. are all doomed. And then I read the other thing that says, oh, it's solar cycles. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Probably solar cycle. I, you know what I mean? Like, I have to dedicate a, a significant amount of my life to like get to a place um i would say that this COVID 19 has been far easier to destroy but i also think that they're doing it on the on the fly and and i think it's like a much more simple like kind of cover your ass type of situation where they've sort of stated this and now you know they're just not gonna come off it and wait till it just sort of falls out of the you know well, there's a very perverse incentive incentive structure that has been set up. I mean, it's extremely difficult for a politician to be handed a model like this publicly that says, you know, if you don't do what I say, hundreds of thousands of people will yeah, die. Right. You know, so it, it, you're going to you'd have to be really, really strong willed or, or some kind of weird dictator to just ignore <laughs> that completely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, you know, it, and the reality is very similar model to the Imperial College model is used in previous outbreaks uh, I, for swine flu, uh, I think for mad cow or something similar, or maybe for SARS. And it vastly overestimated the number of deaths there, too. Yeah. It didn't stop it from being reused here. Yeah, because the incentive structure to these are basically these are the experts in epidemiology. Mm. Who is going to say, let's ignore them completely? Yeah, it's. It's going to be very difficult to do, you know, in in a few places, you're going to have people who differ and there is some professional disagreement here. And that's why you can see different strategies emerging, you know, in different countries and and different outcomes. Um, And then you have to puzzle out whether or not the different outcomes that those countries see are from the policy or not. Yeah. Well, one thing I can assure you is we're not going to win this. (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're the minority of the minority of the minority and yeah. big gov is gonna win Probably. there's too there's too too much lockstep with with the big you know big media i mean they have all the you know all the voices and yeah well anyway but yeah let's let's slide into something uh i don't know pick pick you got a bunch of topics i don't know if we're gonna get to all so, of them so so this one's for the, the folks uh, who listen that uh, love uh, conspiracy theories. There's been a lot of talk about um, yeah, yeah. whether or not this might have been released from uh, the virology lab that was in Wuhan, China. I think the jury is really uh, still out on that. It's not impossible. I would say there's not very strong evidence yet. Uh, certainly the stuff that's been reported even in major newspapers, I would not, I would not take very strongly. I mean, it's like someone asserting that someone believes something and mm-hmm. is coming from our government, which is already, you know, pretty antagonistic towards China. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't take that to, so I, I'd look more towards like the actual science and looking at the genome of the viruses. And I would say it's definitely not certain yet. Um, there's some stuff that's coming out, even in very um, academic circles, like real journals are looking into this question. So I think eventually we could get a sense of whether or not that's true. Uh, but, there is precedent for this kind of thing. Uh, the 1977 H1N1 flu was caused by the accidental release of a 20-year-old laboratory strain. Uh, this wasn't known until substantially after the fact, but mm-hmm. it is what happened. Basically, by looking at the genome, he the, the scientists in some many years later was able to show that it was the same as uh, a flu that came from some decades earlier, but it hadn't picked up enough mutations in the interim 
to be the end, like a natural release in 77. It was a frozen flu and accidentally released. Hmm. And that's not the only time this has happened. So, you know, for the people who would argue that, say, this type of research is too dangerous, if it does turn out to be the case that this was released, I would say this is a good a point in their favor. Uh, maybe, maybe these labs just can't implement enough protocols uh, to keep this stuff safe. Yeah, I mean, eventually, right, it'll get out. I mean, I guess that you would have to say, well, weighed against what? It's too dangerous, weighed against what's the, exactly. what are we getting out of this? Like bioweapons or? No, or in better? this case, they, they were trying to better understand the, the, flu. the parts of the genome. So basically, they, I think a lot of the research uh, at these laboratories is seeing what parts of the viral genome uh, this was not in 77, of course, they were doing something else then, but mm -hmm. what parts of the viral genome would be responsible for, say, how contagious a disease is. And if you could better understand that, then instead of us arguing about what the R0 is for something like uh, the coronavirus, we could, as soon as we had isolated it in the wild, take a look at its genome and then we say, oh, the R0 is blank you know, mm -hmm. based on that. So there's a lot of value in that. And yeah. also understanding the genome might allow for vaccines to be developed much more rapidly. So, so there's a lot of stuff, but I would like to see what are the outputs of that research so far versus the risks. Um, yeah. What, because it's uh, obvious. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, it's somewhat, you know, along this, just on the conspiracy uh, side, we can let, let's uh, dabble <laughs> for a little bit. So I um, well, something I heard very like early on was people claiming that there it was obvious that this was, you know, a quote unquote man made virus or it had been, you know, somehow tampered with. I I haven't read much into that. I don't know if that's like even a legitimate thing that is discoverable by looking at a virus to say, Oh, there's no way that this sort of naturally came about, or maybe all of these are, are like quote unquote man-made and this is just sort of obvious already. I, I, I don't know about no, that. No, I mean, it, th there was a paper that came out very early on from some researchers in India suggesting that, there were aspects of the coronavirus that looked like HIV and that this was evidence that it had been engineered. Mm. But I believe that was all really soundly uh, shot down mm, okay. uh, so far. So I, there definitely isn't anything approaching a consensus on this, but uh, whether or not it's, it's that result is still up in the air. And I just, I don't know, but I certainly haven't seen anything that convinced me. Um, I see a lot of talk about it, but a lot of it just seems very circumstantial. Yeah. I and actually heard less talk really this is this was like really early on when i think too because this was back when it was kind of still china mainly and it maybe yeah. kind of come, so there was all there was a lot more sort of focus on china itself and how it got out now i think people are i, I think maybe now it's just too much like you know we have to just focus on us and dealing with it and then maybe later you know like you're saying i mean this this paper was 20 years later that they finally right. like cracked the uh the solve the mystery or whatever right. um you know who who knows but i didn't even I, I guess i just wasn't sure if that's even like a plausible thing it, uh, you know, like it saying that, oh, this looks like, uh, you know, HIV or whatever. I mean, that almost, is that even and not like that seems like almost like anecdotal. Like, uh, how, how do you really like, is there really like a clear marker in something like this that says like, oh, you can like see that this is like, uh, like utterly like impossible, you know, <laughs> to occur naturally or, you know, 99.99, you know, whatever. They, I, 
they have a lot of ability to look at like the the lineage of, of viruses and there's mm. some very interesting papers and looking at say how th there are different uh, va variants even of the the coronavirus the novel coronavirus already like and there's talk about the one that's mostly circulating in europe possibly being a bit different from the one that was in china and and sort of when did various mutate possible mutations come into effect so th there's a pretty high ability in fact there was uh there was a paper that just came out, which is on an, another topic we might want to discuss. Uh, researchers in Israel uh, found something in the viral genome that supported the idea that most of the spread came from a small number of people who shed a lot of virus. And this has something to do with an analysis. There have been empirical studies looking at whether or not that's the case, like just looking at how certain outbreaks started. Mm. But this is a so particular view of that from the, the genome. Spreader, the super spreaders. Well, those would be super spreaders. Yes. So exactly. if we could identify and, and ex exterminate the super spreaders, then we wouldn't even have these problems. Exterminate the super spreaders. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a small number of people. Yeah, exactly. Like, do they, there's certainly not a, like a lobby for them or anything. Right. That's the, the, I think, it, I don't even know if it was a joke. It was the, the first coronavirus case in North Korea. They just said that he shot the poor guy. <laughs> I'm sure it's not a joke. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, so that's so, so, but the point is that, you know, uh, accidental releases do happen. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done and it's not, I don't know that it's super critical to, to figure that out right away. So I think the best yeah. thing to do would be to take, not, not jump on any small piece of evidence that comes out because there are people talking a lot about this, but just to, relax mm -hmm. and if it is true it will come out because that's something that's very much in the interest of of every mainstream like virology researcher to establish yeah, yeah. where this actually came from so yeah so you're saying you think it's the lineage would be the the main to sort of basically if you could the maybe the best argument for it will be that hey like there is no sensible lineage for this like like yeah somebody but it, it sounds like it uh, you know, you're going to be sort of stuck with saying until can somebody can find it. You know, maybe somebody later will be like, hey, we actually discovered this other strain and that now it kind of connects these dots. And it's know. going to be hard to establish with certainty. I mean, it, it already is. I mean, there was a, an article in, and it was either science or nature very early on talking about like the, they, they said that they really did think it came from an animal, either a pangolin or a bat, but they weren't sure. They wouldn't say for sure which one it was because like early on, everyone was saying, oh, it's this wet market. It was definitely from a bat. Mm. I, I don't think that stuff is, is for sure at all. Yeah. Um, it could be from a number of different animals. And I don't know that it's it's been nailed down. So yeah. you're just going to have to wait on that okay hey, do you want to talk about variolation sure <laughs> sure so can, you, can i uh i'll be honest I, i've never even heard that word in my entire life never seen right. it written i've never heard it uttered <laughs> we don't use it anymore uh so so back before uh vaccines were widely uh available there was a technique called variolation you've probably seen it if you saw the uh john adams uh series on hbo you saw variolation in action. I did not. Uh, okay. Uh, so the basic idea here is that before, the, the basic idea behind a vaccine is to introduce uh, a, an attenuated, a weakened strain of the virus in order to sort of prime the immune system of the person receiving it. Variolation is very similar, except 
uh, it's more primitive and not as safe. Basically, if you had, say, a person who had smallpox mm -hmm. and you took a sample from one of their wounds and you'd, say, put it inside of a cut of another person or, or in their nasal cavity, you'd be exposing them to smallpox, of course. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that this isn't the same as being exposed to it if that person were to just, say, uh, cough on you or if you got it out of the environment. Okay. The normal, uh, so, so that's variolation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a way of introducing a virus in a manner akin to, to vaccine, but not nearly as safe. So smallpox, about 30% of the people who got it could die. Mm -hmm. So it's hugely, hugely deadly. Mm -hmm. uh, variolation had a roughly 1% uh, fatality rate. Mm -hmm. So the idea is if you saw a, a pandemic or an epidemic of smallpox was starting an area, you could protect yourself, your family, and your kids at some very significant risk uh, by infecting yourself on purpose. So we don't generally use this anymore because we use vaccines. They're much safer. Mm -hmm. um, they had they actually had uh, some mandatory variolation. I think it was in, in England uh, in the late... Uh, in the, in the 1800s sometime before they had vaccines. Vaccines came, started to come around only like, like 40 years later, I think. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't used for very long. Uh, but uh, it was illegal in the United States, actually, uh, before the, the revolution. And uh, George Washington broke the law and uh, used variolation on a bunch of his soldiers uh, to protect them from smallpox, uh, mm. just in flagrant disregard for the law uh he but, was all about that though wasn't he yes that's right he didn't really <laughs> he didn't obviously he didn't care right. <laughs> uh but the, the basic idea here is and why it's relevant today is the the creation of a vaccine is a very uh challenging thing um there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get one out and and to verify it's safe and then to manufacture it widely uh, variolation has a much more, shorter amount of time to be introduced. You could start doing it effectively immediately. Yeah. And, and I would argue that given the extraordinarily low uh, risk to death from COVID, as we covered last time, from people mm -hmm. who are younger, you could establish whether or not variolation was effective in a very safe and ethical manner by asking for volunteers who would then voluntarily be infected and to see if this treatment worked. Mm -hmm. um, and then you could introduce it into others. So, so part of this would just be to basically uh, increase the number of people who had been exposed to create a herd immunity faster. Yeah. Part of it would be as a proof of concept so that you could do it in older folks who are at a very high risk. So you would establish some safe methodology or dose uh, with younger, healthier people that resulted in immunity, you establish that and then you apply that to some volunteers who are older. Mm -hmm. um, in general, these kinds of like human challenge type trials are are not done these days because they are considered in violation of medical ethics. Uh, but in my view, if you thought this was a very serious uh, disease and it was on a volunteer basis, then then I think informed consent would be enough to make it ethical. Yeah. I mean, what's the, how is that any different than like, you know, the people that are on the front lines, like we're, you know, they're exactly. exposing themselves and everybody claps for them or whatever. I know in England, it's like almost like a law that you have to go out at some time at night and everybody claps for the health right. workers. So. Because they recognize they're putting themselves on the line. It, but people's reactions to these things are not entirely driven by reason. I mean, there's a, a funny example of this. So, so in this case, it's, you know, letting people voluntarily expose themselves would be unethical, but just 
letting them do it in a way that doesn't advance our knowledge is somehow is ethical. Right. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's irrational. You yeah. know, it's, it's the same thing. So if, if Facebook if Facebook has two versions of its user interface and it shows some people one and some people the other and measures their responses to see which one increases engagement, people consider that somewhat unethical. Mm-hmm. But if they just change their user interface without doing any tests to some completely new thing, that is considered ethical. Right. So so yeah. it's not like people's people's have like a gut reaction and it's very strong and the thing to realize here is that the reason we are doing this is because we're taking the threat seriously and we may not be able to develop a vaccine from this but this variolation is something that can be done immediately it has a proven historical track record and uh -hmm. it can be done and i think particularly since we know now that this doesn't pose a huge risk to young people the early stages can be done very safely yeah oh Uh, so I would encourage if you're interested in that, there's a, a professor named Robin Hansen. He has some material on variolation. He's been a big proponent of this. Uh, you can look up more on that. Hmm. Yeah, you could kiss somebody with COVID. You, you could. could start that. Yeah, I, I think that there is just like, I, you know, conscious or unconscious, we are you know sort of just there is like the the uh the active participants and then the large part of the country that is being more and more and more trained to just be like the recipients of Mm -hmm. whatever this like group of actors figures out for them and so i think that variolation and having volunteers brings the like passive you know people into this sort of actor stage and that's just somehow it's just like incongruent with uh the the normal mindset now and uh but you know it's like okay so human trials that's that's barbaric animal testing that's barbaric i mean at some point it's like why don't i mean what like how do you make a change you're just stuck like hey this is the this is the makeup but we have we will never going to change because we can't test it on animals and we can't test it on people and to change would then just be a one you know worldwide human trial like so we're stuck we're just right so this it's, it. It, and that's what i said last time is that you know nothing is bad except in comparison to something else so it's like sure okay fine you have a view that in general these human trials are bad but is it better than not doing them yeah so it, that's the question it's not whether it's good or bad in and of itself it's compared with the alternatives mm-hmm. does this make sense and i think it does uh you know i think that i think that uh if you if things keep going as well as they do and we start reopening and nothing happens then there'll be no need for them but if you were among the people who said this was highly deadly and it's not something that we can open for until there's a vaccine well that just seems crazy considering that we don't have one and we have no idea how long it would take to do one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least with variolation there's like a definitive endpoint right and for the end for the people who would say it's not safe to reopen because we can't effectively protect the older more vulnerable population while letting everybody go to work well variolation would be a path to doing that Mm -hmm. you know you would be able to infect someone make sure they had had it and then confirm they have immunity afterwards and then they're no danger to anyone yeah 
Oh, so I think that we have maybe time to do one more. And I would, I was actually sort of looking through all this stuff. I think it might be nice to touch on Sweden and maybe that might, I don't know if that'll be a long, just because, you know, we spoke about it previously and now it's been a a whole month. So, Mm -hmm. um, possibly, and I know you have a, an interesting figure here on unre- a different topic, but hospital bed occupancy <laughs> with the actual yeah. data <laughs> versus the predictions. It's, it's wild. Um, yes. So, and so we uh, just, we're going to include, I think I'm going to upload some version of our notes here to uh, Google drive. It'll just be like a PDF that I'll include that you can sort of download them. Um, and we'll include some other stuff there. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah. yeah so Sweden, where, where's Sweden at a day today? Now a month, a month after, you know, our last so, so I would say that they are, they're doing well. Uh, they are, have more daily cases than some of their uh, neighbors, certainly. Um, they're doing still better than the, the countries that did quite poorly. They're still better than the United Kingdom. Uh, but people have used, but they do have more than some of their neighbors. They have more than Germany. They have more than Denmark or, or uh, Finland, some of these other countries that surround them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have uh said, well, this is proof that their strategy doesn't work, to which I usually respond. It's like, well, that isn't the same as being applied here. So the prediction was that if they went the path that that they went, they would have much, much worse outcomes than their neighbors who locked down. And that Mm -hmm. simply is not the case. Like, that has been proven false. Mm -hmm. Um, They uh, didn't close down their businesses as much. People have, I've heard people say for some reason that they thought that their economy would suffer just as much, but I have some data showing that that is not the case, that they've had, uh, that they're going to have a greatly reduced reduction in their uh, yearly GDP and their unemployment numbers are not nearly as bad. In fact, their unemployment numbers for April, I believe, were so good that people were saying they didn't believe them at first. So... So, so it's not as if they're going to be unaffected, and it isn't as if no one has died. Uh, but I would say that so far, the strategy has definitely not been proven to be the wrong mm. one. And by the At way, this, our this week, I think our numbers were 2.5 million more added to uh, the unemployment yes. in the it's, U.S. It's it's very it's looking very very bad. Uh, you know, at this point, people have probably seen the, the little graphics of the unemployment rate, how it's just it's spiked like it's never yeah. been seen before. Um, so it's it is something that should be taken into account because people do need to work uh, in order for there to be something to come back to when you come out of lockdown, as mm-hmm. I was saying earlier. Yeah. But the basic idea is that the Swedish strategy is looking pretty good so far. They definitely have more total deaths than a lot of their neighbors, but to some extent that is what would be expected. I mean, the strategy, unless there's some secret sauce or some magic, you would expect them to have more uh, cases and more deaths early on, but fewer later, fewer or the same overall and a reduced damage and disruption in their economy. Like that is the hypothesis. So you can't say on the basis of them having a more per day right now than some of their neighbors that the strategy didn't work. Right. Yeah. Uh, Isn't there um, the, the, the Spanish flu, a comparison between like Philadelphia and St. Louis that kind of play 
sort of shows that play out over some number of months where like the total number of deaths actually comes out to be pretty similar. There's just a massive spike in the beginning in Philadelphia because they had the parade and whatever. I definitely saw those curves. I don't remember hearing what the like the integral under the curves was, whether yeah. it was the same or different. I will say this: I have a I have a paper here. Uh, don't say that, integral under the curve. <laughs> Sorry, very under the curve. There. So I do have a paper here that looks at the uh, impact of the Spanish flu, the 1918 Spanish flu, on the economy. Uh, the comparisons here are very difficult uh, because uh, we were in the middle of a war then, and so the demand for certain sets of goods was quite high. But the, what the researchers conclude is that it is almost impossible to say, oh, I see the effects of the, the, the Spanish flu on the U.S. economy, mm -hmm. it, like there wasn't a large drop in GDP that year, whereas we're looking at something in the twenty to thirty percent range, you know, possibly. Yeah. Uh, well, for for the quarterly, I don't remember what it's going to be for the full year. I don't think anybody does yet because we still got a long way to go. But the reality is that uh, let's see, it grew one percent in nineteen nineteen. So the U.S. economy. So the point is that. Whatever people want to say about particular sets of cities, the reality was that we did not have as big of an impact. And you could chalk that up to anything. You could say, well, we couldn't afford to in X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. But this idea that we did something similar to then and it has shown to work is just not based in any data. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't expect that even, even if we are hit with the same sort of uh, proportional you know, effects that is, is as bad or even worse than Great Depression era numbers. It's not like I wouldn't expect people to be starving, you know, in the streets and in large numbers in the United States because we have built up so much wealth over yes, the, right. the, the time in between these, you know, events that, That's right. we should, you know, we can produce food so cheaply and so quickly. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't be that, but nonetheless, like we're, we're just sort of setting back the clock of progress. And not just for us too. I mean, as we discussed on the last podcast, I mean, our economic output means is a matter of life and death for people who are on the margins in the world, yeah. people who are living on a few dollars a day. And even more so than when we spoke last time, like it is planned that there will be large numbers of deaths from those economic effects. Yeah. Um, but but going back to Sweden, I want to paint paint a fair picture. So I, I think I'm still pretty optimistic on this, and I haven't seen anything that seriously refutes the strategy. But they did release some uh, serology data. Basically, this is the type. This is a different kind of test where it says if you had it in the past and have antibodies, mm -hmm. and the number of people that they got a positive for that was lower than expected. And this leads to a, a calculation for the infection fatality ratio, which is higher than I would have expected a few weeks ago. Mm. So, so there is some negative uh, data there. Um, now, whether or not, so, so this talks about how many people need to have it before the disease can effectively circulate. This is this herd immunity idea that we talked about mm -hmm. last time. Uh, based on the new Swedish data, they probably be up somewhere in the 12% range now. At first blush, this sounds like it's really far away from being the 50 or 60% that some people say is needed for herd immunity. Uh, but that's only under like the most simplistic models. The basic idea here is that 
if the disease spreads really easily, then you need relatively more people to be immune before it can't circulate anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but the number that you actually need depends very heavily on how connected people are. This is something that, again, we talked about last time. So mm -hmm. if there are a small number of people who are doing a lot of the connections, you need a relatively lower number. And it could be as low as 20% before you start to see, even for a disease that spreads easily, before it starts to really not be able to sustain an uh, epidemic anymore. So possibly uh, the super spreader type theory could could benefit this then. Exactly. That would, And so, and there is additional evidence for that hypothesis now versus when we talked last time. Mm. Um, I would also say that when we spoke last time, the, the, the daily deaths in Sweden were still like, maybe they were coming down, but it was pretty close. And they definitely have gone down since then. And so if it is the case that only a small fraction have been exposed and that you need a very large fraction before you have effective herd immunity, then you're forced to ask, because their policies haven't changed, why are deaths going down? So this is just more evidence that the standard models aren't giving us a lot of predictive power for what's going on here. Um, now, so, so it remains to be seen. Now, I have my own hypothesis that I've been developing based on uh, some newer papers that have come out. It's definitely not mainstream or anything like that yet, but I think that it, it there's some credibility to it, and I'd be happy to share that if you want me to. Okay. Uh, basically, the idea here is that there was some papers that have come out that said you could get... So, so let me step back. So normally, if a new virus is introduced from an animal, no one has any base immunity to it, and it can just spread through the population easy as anything. Mm -hmm. But for most viruses, uh, especially sort of very similar ones, similar coronaviruses, there is some base level immunity that, from exposure to other similar viruses. Um, and there's evidence to suggest that this kind of partial immunity does exist for, for the novel coronavirus that causes COVID. And my hypothesis is that there are similar coronaviruses giving partial immunity and that they've been circulating in Asia for a while. And this may be the primary reason why a lot of those countries have seen lower death rates than countries in the West, because Australia, Japan, South Korea, Singapore, all these places have been exposed to the similar coronaviruses uh, as, as the novel coronavirus. Mm. And so... It remains to be seen, and I propose there's some tests that you could do to see this, and this is the kind of thing that we'll find out more about as as time progresses. Yeah. Uh, but what we can say for sure is that the data that we've seen doesn't match like the models that are being put forth in the beginning or even in the interim, because we mm -hmm. should have already seen an uptick from the partial reopenings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so hopefully, I mean, it, it does seem like. The momentum is, is on. It sounds like the natives are getting restless. You're yes. <laughs> so we can, yeah, we can, we can start to, to wrap things up if we want. Um, but we, uh, I mean, the, the good news is, is it seems like the momentum is that, you know, states are starting to open up businesses, you know, it's at least becoming like not illegal to operate your business in a lot of places in the United States. So that is nice. And, uh, I think that that is just going to continue. I mean, sure. I would assume too, the fact that the summer is coming and, you know, that will probably, um, tamp it down even more. And then the concern 
to me is really when you start to get back around into flu season again, do we see an uptick in this and you know, what's going to happen at that point. But maybe we can save that for our, our predictions for the for the next flu season for uh, a follow-up episode. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, is there any... I, man, there's a lot of topics still, though. I, I did want I to talk about the contact tracing. I, we'll just have to try to get back um, within we could do, We could do one more topic. One more topic. Okay. <laughs> Would contact tracing be the the one i mean because it actually kind of touches a libertarian uh you know civil liberties type stuff um this is yeah go ahead oh and it's something that i talked about on a an episode before with you about with south korea and i know that that was like somewhat of a question with how they handled it and you know would they even be able to sell the american public i would argue they can sell the american public on anything they damn well please i mean they just do whatever they want anyway so <laughs> i think uh you know but i i don't know that the that i think would be interesting because that's something they're saying like okay well we can open up but we have to do this you know so contact tracing is basically the idea that we'll find out the people who have caught it so basically the idea is you, you lock down for a while you reduce the number of people who have the disease to a very low level. And then as you reopen, every time you see one case, you take it very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. And what you try to do is contact everyone who that person has been in contact with and put them all in isolation. Um, there's a lot of ways you could look at the feasibility of this from the number of people that it would be required to isolate to whether it can actually work given the dynamics of the coronavirus to begin with. Um, so this, some of this will be uh, obvious, but the idea is if the virus spreads uh, via people being asymptomatic, uh, it's gonna be very hard to do contact tracing because if someone gets the disease, doesn't cough or sneeze anyone, and just spreads it around through casual contact, yeah. and you never know they have it, how are you going to isolate them? Mm -hmm. um, so there is some uh, a paper in science that said, oh, contact tracing is feasible under the following assumptions. Uh, and those assumptions, I think, are very difficult to justify. Um, basically, they're saying it would require something like universal adoption of an app that you would put on your phone, mm -hmm. maybe even one that would be integrated into its operating system. So like basically a mandatory app on your phone that mm -hmm. would track all the people that you were in contact with around you via Bluetooth. And then if you got it, they'd have some way of contacting all of those people, letting them know you have been in contact with someone that has coronavirus. Um, Woof. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you, if you think they're ever going to take that off of your phone right. once yeah. it's on there, that it won't be used for anything else, oh, yeah. that's that seems very uh, unlikely to me. Um, oh, boy. I mean, it also relies. So that's that's one thing. So near universal adoption. So there's, there's civil rights concerns there, civil liberties concerns there. And then it also relies on this asymptomatic fraction, which mm -hmm. in this paper uh, estimates it at 18 percent, uh, which I think is is way too low. I mean, we've seen uh, studies from the port plant, from the aircraft carrier uh, were much, much higher asymptomatic fractions than that were observed. Now, mm -hmm. it is important to 
to distinguish between pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic, but the reality is that their own citation, which justifies this 18%, also includes that they think 30% is feasible, but they didn't say that in their paper. Right. Yeah. So this is just an example of what you were saying earlier, where, you know, no one who, who read this paper for science, which for those who don't know, is like probably like the number two journal, maybe mm-hmm. in the whole world, or one of the top couple, if you don't include some of the, the big med journals, mm-hmm. uh, has this number, the, 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 conclusion is critical to it and and either no one checked the citation or said maybe you should mention some of these other works including your own citation that says some of these much higher numbers are feasible right yeah Uh. So, so and so and it would also imply that these contacts when you're saying it they would hand you a form that says if you're lucky you have to isolate in your house and maybe if you're unlucky they said there's a thing called centralized quarantine which mm-hmm. the u.s did employ itself for some things at some time where there is a government building where you are relocated to forcibly once you have been exposed to make sure you don't spread it to others that's yeah. centralized quarantine yeah unreal i mean the, the <laughs> It, yeah, it's just it's such a, a crazy overreaction. And, you know, I remember we were talking about contact tracing before or, you know, last episode where you were talking about like, you know, maybe in the beginning. But now, mm-hmm. I mean, there's literally like millions and tens of millions of people that are, yes. at least, you know, that right. I mean, isn't that the, the numbers would suggest that there are tens of millions of people, at least with the antibodies now. Right. So, yeah, I mean, how many people ha- like you know i've been effect infected uh, how, how i mean i guess like if you just had some app that was just notifying people you know just pinging around and you had sort of servers doing it i, I you know i i i guess like but yeah i mean you're gonna wind up quarantining 30 percent of the country like again well, I mean, like we forcibly have, have, <laughs> like, and I, again i still think that it seems somewhat infeasible i mean let's look at so we had uh Daily confirmed cases in the U.S., and we've been on the downslope. Is that over 20,000 still? So if you're going to do contact tracing, so let's assume that we don't get this down by more than another factor of two before we open. Because like you said, things are already starting to reopen. So if we're going to do contact tracing, when we have 20,000 new cases a day, well, how many contacts does each person have? At least, what, five? That's like a bare minimum, right? Mm-hmm. So what are we going to put in quarantine a hundred thousand people a day? Right. <laughs> it just it, it just doesn't seem like the kind of thing that uh, yeah, is, 20, is workable. The last day was twenty like twenty two thousand, but yeah, we've right. been hovering. We've had a day like under nineteen. There seems to be something that you look in the like the daily uh, deaths. It's a very mm-hmm. interesting pattern, and I don't know if it's just because of the way it's reported. I mean, that would be my assumption. But I mean, it you see a very smooth that. overall curve, but then you just see this like sort of like you know a very clear like you know higher frequency sort of wave on top of it. Uh, right. But yeah, my assumption would be if it like you know yeah that there's some like weekly number that keeps. The the centralized source that this they usually pull these data from is on the day that it's reported, not necessarily when the day the death occurred. Mm-hmm. And so basically because of the way that they do these reports in batches, uh, that's what leads to these bumps, I believe, is the, yeah. the, the yeah, generally accepted like, explanation. Three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, I mean, it's like literally every seventh bar is, is the spike of that yeah. hump. So, yeah, I guess that's the weekly spread. Anyway, um, 
cool. So give up your liberties for uh, an ineffective strategy. I'm it in. may be maybe what's <laughs> asked of you. So yeah. I, I'd be careful and prepare yeah. for that. Yeah. So uh, all right. Um, okay. Well, let's wrap it up here. It's about a sure. hour and a half in. Solid, solid episode. It's right, yes. in the, right in the sweet spot of mine. Sometimes I've gone, you know, over <laughs> under. I think 90 minutes is a nice, you know, uh, a nice length. A nice um, movie. Yeah. Is there, uh, right, exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of research, I think, to back that up. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. You want some, some closing remarks uh, for Memorial Day weekend, COVID, COVID-19? I think that... Uh we're looking pretty good. The trends, the trends look fine. I, I would say that as far as overall understanding, it's not been enhanced that all that much in the last month. I mean, I think that it's becoming more clear that the, the threat was overstated and that we're probably going to be all right. Uh, but in terms of like real understanding or even like where we got it wrong, I don't think we have a good idea of that yet. Mm. Okay. Yeah. My closing remarks, I feel much meaner. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> right now, I, I, uh, I, that I, I, I got a lot off my chest a couple episodes before. I think I did them like back to back days. My the two right. episodes where I, re- I really, really ranted. But you know, in, in those, like, I, you know, I, I just, I, I wish that my friends that are so, you know, easily declare other you know fellow citizens murderers and 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 racists and and whatever you know i wish they had the the wherewithal to to go back and and you know sow some contrition when you're blatantly wishful but i know this is it would be nice yeah you know like course correct like right because i you know in the beginning i was about you can go back to my or you know episode at the beginning of this i was kind of like hey man like you know because we were in i think like single digit thousand cases at that point and i remember saying like hey what does this look like when we hit ten thousand? like some people think we're not locking down or blah 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 and you know and at that point i mean i had nothing to go on I just sort of was saying, Hey, yeah, I guess like I'm okay with working from home because I can just do it. So like, what's right. the big deal? And I'm naturally, you know, sort of, uh, bent in that direction of isolation. <laughs> so it's like not that big of a deal. Um, but you know, as time has gone on and, you know, more, you know, research is, is, is out and more numbers are available. I sort of, changed my my tune and and yeah like i i don't really give uh the government benefits uh benefit of the doubt uh but in this case like i'll even say like hey okay like maybe that's what it seemed like in the beginning i mean there the numbers coming out of china or the information coming out certainly pointed to the fact that this was a much much more deadly disease towards older people uh, which mm-hmm. that was true. So that was information available from the beginning uh, that was basically just ignored. I mean, there, there's not there's not one thing done on any level of government that particularly helps older people. 
or high risk people? Nothing. Like I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm wrong. I mean, can you point to one thing? There's not um, been, you know, there's not been anything to to help them quarantine easier, or you know, uh, it's just it's all been blanket for everybody. And that's, that was flawed. And it was, you know, the initial analysis was that would, that was not the correct approach and that has never changed. Yes. I have, I, I'm, I can't think of anything where the, yeah. the resources were specifically directed to that. Yeah. And then, um, and so, you know what they murdered people. <laughs> They killed people. <laughs> damn it. You know? There you go. But I say that with some knowledge now, you know, right? Like, yeah. this, this is like they ignored it. Now, I mean, the murder is saying they did it on purpose. I'm just saying, right? Yeah. Like, I right. do think that if it's, it's more of a manslaughter, really. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll say that. Maybe third degree, I don't know, second degree. Yeah. I don't Reckless know. disregard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. You know? So, anyway. Uh, and it, yeah, it irks me, and 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 it's uh, it's amazing how many people, you know, intelligent, college educated, pretty well off, you know, <clears throat> certainly have the means to to get any access to, you know, to have access to any any information they want, still think that uh you know they want to like boycott businesses that are opening, but it's it's quickly falling off, and then they'll completely yeah, yeah. forget that they were ever. Uh, you know that two weeks prior that you know they were calling uh, Kemp, right? That's like, that's my governor. Yes, I think. Kemp. They were calling him, you know, a murderer. What what was the headline? Hey. Experiment in human sacrifice or exercise in human sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Cool. So so hey, you know what? I'd be content with them just pretending like they were right all along, as long as they get smart. Yeah, but then they're just gonna, you know, it it. it keeps them as the authority and not that we're doing anything that will ever disrupt this. I don't, I don't know what, you know, I, uh, I, um, I really, uh, you know, like I, I think, well, you may have even listened back when the, the podcast was titled no hope, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been, you know, wanting to kind of go back to that because I feel like it really captures the essence of where I'm at. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to do, but uh, um, I I feel like at least I'm trying, you know, like for me, like I could just say F it, like I'm just going to, you know, whatever, just ignore this and try to be, but I, I just can't. And it's just in my DNA. And, you know, my actually my on my father's gravestone, the, mm -hmm. uh, he has he tried. That's that was what yes. he put on his. Yes, he said, "Fuck it, man!" Like at least I, <laughs> at least I tried. And he was, uh, he, so he died a long, long time ago when I was four years old. But he was like, he was all torqued up. You can, I can. There's stuff he wrote about the communists and stuff. <laughs> oh wow, it's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Because he died in '81, so okay, you know. Uh, but anyway, topic for another time. So I guess with that, we'll wrap up. Okay, I thank think, you, Pat. Uh, 
I think uh, I think people are gonna want you to come back another one. Maybe we'll try to do it uh, before another month. But I, you know, maybe timing them once a month. Maybe I'll, I could pop in a solo episode if we can in the interim. But uh, I think the weekends we can normally find a time. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But thanks for coming on. And, Thank you. Uh, Talk yeah. to you soon. Yep. Talk to everybody soon. Bye bye. Thoughts like water. Get it to your sister, brother, mother, father, for daughter. Can't tell where you went and where they begin. Human centipede of bullshit echoes within. Dumb, dumb, dumb down. And you don't even know. Don't come around. And you won't eat enough. I'm tired of the words that's coming out your mouth. Better play it safe and keep my name out your mouth. Boring, boring. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Dumb,